So if you've been around the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God changes us. Uh, we led into the day of uh, uh, the celebration of Pentecost by talking about the work of the Spirit in and through us uh, and the ways that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to, in that work, that inward transformation. So we're in, in some ways continuing on that theme uh, as we look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. So if you think back a few weeks ago, we looked at, the, at a chapter in the book of Ezekiel talking about God doing an inside work in us. It's not just about exterior. Sometimes we get caught up in the externals. And uh, instead, God is working to give us a new heart and a new spirit. In fact, putting his own spirit in us to help us and to move us to do his will. And then we look the next week at the book of Joel, the prophet Joel. And uh, it says there that uh, he works in all. God works in all. There's no discrimination with her. And uh, the big idea with that was that uh, if there is any barriers to the work of the Spirit in our lives to change us, uh, it's on our side, not on his. He's very willing uh, to change us. Uh, Pastor Sheldon and I talked about uh, how God works, so primarily through the work of his Spirit, but he uses means of grace to change us, to transform us. It's, that's our part in, in the work of, of that work of God, to change us. And so there are very practical, everyday, ordinary things that God can use. And even just the trials and the temptations and the, the hard things and the good things God uses in our life if we let him to change us. So uh, that was the, the point of that was that God is the God of the ordinary. And sometimes we miss the, the fact that God is actually speaking to us, wants to show us something, and we're just, you know, we're going. We've got a plan, and we're heading in a direction. And uh, you hit a bump in the road, and that was that whole idea of the learning circle, is when you have one of those bumps in the road, something that, you know, usually it stirs up our emotions. We react to it. You get frustrated or angry or sorrowful or whatever that emotional reaction is. And instead of just pushing on through and saying, I've got, a, I've got my agenda, when what the, the learning circle is about, all about learning to, um, learning to learn from life. And so... Sometimes we have curriculum, right? If you're school, we have school teachers here. You have a curriculum that you follow. So in discipleship, uh, we may have curriculums, but ultimately the curriculum that God uses to change us is life. The good and the bad and all everything in between. It's life by his spirit that he changes us. And God is committed to working in you. We talked about that with our, our grads and others. You, you know, if you're at a, at a transitional point in your life, are you not sure what's ahead? Maybe you do know what's ahead, or at least you have a plan. That may change. You don't know. But uh, there, you need to know that God is committed to finishing what he starts. So if he's done a new work, a good work in your life, if you've genuinely trusted in Christ, he's working from the inside out, he's put his spirit in you, God is faithful to finish what he started. So Philippians chapter 2 Verses 12 and 13 was our key verse last week. It says, God is working in you, giving you the desire. So even the desire to do what he wants you to do by the work of the Spirit, he gives you that desire, but also the power to do what pleases him. And we need both desire and power for us to be changed. So God is committed to finishing what he started. Philippians excuse me, Philippians 1, 6 Paul says to this church in, in Philippi who were, you know, like anybody, any believer, you're pulled in different directions, whether it's by other people or by things. 
and it's hard to keep our focus on following Christ. And he says, I'm certain. So this is the confidence that he had. I'm certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So um, sometimes our faith in that might waver, right? We, we know, hopefully, that, that God has done a genuine work in my life, in your life. Uh, but sometimes it feels like you're not making much progress. Maybe it feels like you're taking a few steps back or you're trying to tread water and just hold steady uh, where you are. So sometimes you need a person in your life, like a Paul, who can say, I'm certain that God did a genuine work in your life and he will complete it. Now, that's his part. So we're talking uh, as well about our part in that process. But we do need to to uh, have those words of encouragement, of exhortation, that God is faithful. He'll finish what he started. But how do we keep on track? How do we keep on track in our faith? How do we keep the fervor? And, and oftentimes I think about when I first became a Christian and, and the fervor that I had and the boldness that I had uh, and the faith that I had to just go out. You know, If God's calling me to do it, uh, I'll do it. Uh, I don't know where you know the supply of whatever it might need you know, might need to do that task or to live that life will come from. But I know God has called me, so I'm going to go, right? And, and in some ways, you know, I've lost that, some of that. And I want to re- recover some of it. In fact, I want to go beyond that initial fervor as well. But how do you uh, restore that? How do you get that back when you're distracted? A lot of it's distraction. You know, we live in a really distracting world. And so a lot of us are are we can't keep our focus. We're all kind of spiritually ADHD. We're, we're going all over the place. And so, you know, we, we can focus for brief moments and then we're off somewhere else, right? Whether it's in your life of prayer or in service or, or, or reading the scriptures and studying and meditating or, uh, you know, uh, putting everything in your life under the lordship of Christ. Every single uh, part of your life, it, it's a slippery thing, it seems like. We get distracted so easily. I'm speaking for myself, but I think some of you are like that too. Some of you may feel like, you know, you don't feel like you're distracted, but you're kind of in a holding pattern, right? You're just kind of, I'm treading water. I'm trying to keep on an even keel. I don't know if you've ever been in a plane where you, uh, you come, you're coming to your destination and it's a bigger city and, and there's lots of planes coming and going and uh, they've got you in a holding pattern, right? You're, you're, uh, they're stacked up. I think that's the word for it. They're, You've got planes stacked up, whether on the, on the tarmac or in the air, and they're all just circling around and around and around the city, getting ready to land until you get clearance to come in. And nobody in that plane is saying, this is great, I love this, I love circling the airport. Uh, let's do this a few more times. I don't think there's anyone saying that. You're all anxious to get to your destination. You want to get on the ground and you want to get going to where you're planning to go. Even worse... It's finding yourself in this long, narrow tube with hundreds of other people sitting on the tarmac before you leave. You ever had that experience? Not just for a few minutes, but for an hour or more. You're sitting on the tarmac, and you've got a plan and a destination that you're going, and you are stuck waiting and waiting and waiting with a bunch of strangers, and it's sweaty and smelly, and there you are in that little metal tube. We have plans. We haven't arrived yet. Uh, we haven't even got off the ground. Well, some of us have gotten sidetracked. And whether we're still on the ground, we haven't even really gotten started. 
or we're in a holding pattern in our life, we've somehow let life or things rob us of our sense of focus and our sense of purpose and certainly of our joy. And I think that's one of the key things that Paul's trying to get across to these people is that idea of joy. There should be joy in our following of Christ. It shouldn't all be drudgery. Uh, God has given us this joy, and that joy brings strength and life and vitality. And we let life and things and stuff rob us of that. And so Paul is writing to his friends in Philippi. He's been separated by them. Some people say that it's been 10 years I'm not sure, but in prison. And he says, I have you in my heart. I think about you a lot. I pray for you a lot. And I don't want you to get stuck. I don't want you to get distracted. I don't want you to get off track. I don't want you to lose your focus, your sense of joy. I want you to continue to pursue Christ. And I'm confident in his ability. I'm not, I have no doubt in God's ability to do what he's promised to do in you. I have no doubt about that. But you haven't arrived yet. You know, don't park yourself on that tarmac and say, I've got all I want. You haven't arrived yet. But how do you keep on track? How do you continue to pursue? So I'm going to talk about three things, three new things that uh, Paul had in his life that helped him to keep his focus on Christ. There was a new set of values that he had, a new set of values, a new sense of vitality. I'm going to do the preacher thing. I don't usually do this. They're all going to be the same first letter. So they're all starting with B. So he had a new sense of values. He had a new vitality. And he had a new vision. So the first thing, kind of looking at Paul's past, as he's, kind of, uh, he's talking about his story, but it's our story too. And he says, I've embraced some new values. And so the first 11 verses, he talks about that. So, um, Chris, you'd like this. So he, uh, Paul puts on his accountant or bookkeeper hat in this part. And he counts things. Some people like numbers, and they like counting them, and they like seeing the lines, you know, everything fit together and line up at the bottom, so it's zero, and it all balances out, right? So Paul is looking at his life, and he's counting, and that's one of the key verse, or key words in that first section is to count. He's counting these things up in his life, and he's, and he's itemizing them as, as far as what's valuable and what's not of value. Uh, you know, what I've focused on in the past as being of ultimate value, and this is what I was pursuing, and what I'm pursuing now and he's starting to uh, he he sees because he's had this he's had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus he's had this encounter with the risen Christ and that encounter with the risen Christ has changed everything for him it's changed everything about what he values and what's important in his life it's not it's not that all of those things that he lists in the first 11 chapters are bad in fact there's a lot of really good stuff in there that he was doing that was important to him but he, as he does the, the calculations and he calculates the values, uh, he finds out that it's not jiving. The numbers aren't lining up as they should. Because as he looked at his past life, it was all about position and it was all about achievement. And uh, if you were to kind of line him up um, with all of his peers and compare them, uh, which he could have done, uh, Paul would have, you know, he's head of his class. You know, he had everything. Uh, he had everything going for him. He was born to the right tribe, the right family. Uh, he had those sort of received. He didn't do anything to, for that. He just received it just because of who he was, what family he was born into. And so in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm, pure -blooded, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel 
a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Right? A little bit of boasting, you know. Uh, he, he had nothing to do with all of those things. That, that just was because of who he was, uh, what family he was part of. But here I have this position, and it's an honorable position. And then, uh, but he also didn't, he didn't stop with that. He said, I've worked really hard. I've worked really hard at becoming a very religious, upright person. Uh, I know the scriptures. I've studied them all my life. And he says in verse three, ver- chapter 3, verse 6, I was so zealous that I harshly pers- persecuted the church. He was so convinced that he was right, that he was actually leading people into persecution and death. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was the top of his class. If you compare it to him to just about any of his peers, Paul comes out looking very, very good. But after this encounter with Jesus, after he met the risen Christ on that road, everything changed for him. So his spiritual audit before Jesus would look really good. His spiritual audit after, before God changed him, would reveal something. He was bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. And he was beginning to grasp that this life in Christ has a whole new set of values in the kingdom of God. The things that are important in the kingdom of God are different. And the things that he valued in the past in comparison to this new set of values uh, were just like rubbish. He uses a very graphic word. Um, Manure, basically. (laughs) A good word for that. Those of you who are farmers, that's what it was like. Those things, you know, were, were good in themselves, but in comparison to Christ, it's just like manure. The supreme importance of knowing Christ, Paul says. So he could compare himself to his peers, but in comparison to that, he recognized that he was spiritually bankrupt. Uh, Pastor Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, Paul has enough morality to keep him out of trouble. He was a good guy, right? But not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. He had to lose his religion to find salvation. So Paul's experience with Christ and this reorientation of his, uh, his value system was so dramatic that he, if you want to take a summary of what his experience with Christ was like, it's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, My old self was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So before in his old life, it was all about position and power and knowledge and achievement and what he had done. And now in his new life in Christ, it's all about what Christ has done. And so if we want to keep on track, we have to remind ourselves that we are embracing a new set of values. They're not the same as the values of the world. So that's that uh, picture of Paul as, a, as an accountant, a bookkeeper. But here's another picture in, chap- in chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. He compares himself and compares us as Christians to an athlete in the games, to someone who's pursuing a prize. And uh, so that is, he says, this is what I'm like now. That was what I was like before. Here's what I'm doing now. I'm pursuing Christ just like an athlete pursues the prize. And he says, I've been called. I've got this upward call through Christ. 
uh, in my, on my life. And I always remember that. I've got this goal that I'm pursuing and this prize that I will receive. And I refuse to settle for a complacent life, resting in my position and my achievements. I refuse to settle for that. God has transformed his values. He's transform, transformed his focus in life. He compares himself to this athlete. So whether it's a, some people think it's like a marathon runner. So it's not a sprinter. It's not a 100 meters uh, dash, right? It's a, it's a marathon. It's someone, or an ultra marathon. It's like life is, is not, the Christian life is not a short-term burst of speed and then you, you can stop. It's a long, I, Sheldon, this is, I think, one of your favorite terms, a long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson uh, in his book. So it's this obedience in that one direction, following Christ. It's not, it's not a sprint. And so you have that uh, marathon. I think one of the most commentaries uh, say that this image that he's, he's alluding to, not saying out front, in Roman, the Roman world, one of their favorite sports wasn't basketball, but it was chariot racing. So think Ben-Hur, if you watch it. There's the old original one. There's a new one, apparently. I haven't watched it yet. But chariot racing. So if you're uh, in charge, you know, you've got the reins on those horses, uh, and there's a prize. You're going around the, the stadium there, and there's other racers in that ring. Uh, you, it's probably not a good idea if you are looking around all the time at what's beside you or who's behind you. You need to keep your eyes on the front. You need to keep your eyes on where you want to go. So there's that sense of, of focus. And it's, it's life or death. <laughs> you know, if you lose that sense of focus, there, things go badly very quickly. And so there's this idea of, of uh, the chariot race. There's also in this, this interesting idea in uh, this passage of uh, pursuing. You see, Paul says, I press on. And one of the most of the translations says, I press on to gain Christ, to know Christ. It's kind of a weak terminology. It doesn't really express what's all there. But the idea is, if you were, I'm not going to put it up on the screen because some of them are kind of X-rated, but in Greek culture, most people don't wear, uh, wear clothes in their pictures, apparently. But in Greek culture, if you had a, a vase, like a big vase, it would have two, some of them would have two sides on it. And one side, it, it would pursue sort of the uh, lovers. So, so a, the beloved and the one who's pursuing the beloved. And so in the Greek culture, the pursuit was what was important. And so that was the key moment when, you know, you're, you're trying to win your beloved's devotion. Uh, and the, the beloved would start running <laughs> away. And yet she would, usually it was the she, she would be looking back, you know, kind of like, I'm running, but I'm, <laughs> I'm looking back at you with a smile on my face, right? So, uh, so there's this pursuit of the beloved, and that pursuit was important. On the other side, uh, there, things would change. So it actually, the, the beloved starts to pursue the one who was chasing her in the first place. So the tide is turned, so the, the pursuer becomes the pursued. And so the, often there was this point where they come together and they embrace and uh, there is that consummation. So there's a sense of a pursuit. And that's really what's that in, or in that idea of I press on. It's that idea, I am pursuing Christ. Uh, and so, and yet, Paul says, I pursue him, but he, and I want to possess him, but he's already possessed me. So it's like Paul is pursuing Christ, but Christ is pursuing him at the same time. So it's kind of an interesting picture. And coming out of that culture, that's probably what he had in mind. And uh, so 
it's, it's more than just, I think sometimes when we use the word, I press on, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I guess I got to do it. It's, it's like drudgery. Like, I, I'm a Christian. I should know Christ better. I should read my Bible. I should pray. I should serve. I should witness to what Christ has done in my life. Oh, all right. That's not what the picture is here. It's like, it's like pursuing. It's like the Song of Solomon uh, where he says, I'm in my beloved, and my beloved is mine. I'm my beloved's, my beloved is mine. One of the songs has, I think it was probably taken from that. I'm my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. It, it's, it's a pursuit out of love. It's passionate. It's wholehearted. It's not halfway there. It's all the way. And so Paul is saying, this is what my life is like now. I'm pursuing Christ, and he's pursuing me. I don't know how that works, but, it, you know, that's the way it works. Is that, is that the way you look at your life in Christ? Is that the way you look at it? So that's the second one, that athlete idea. The third one is, uh, so not only is Paul uh, has a new set of values, he has a new vitality, a new motivating force in his life, a new energy that God by his spirit has put in him to pursue Christ with a whole heart, but he also has a new vision of who he is, a new sense of, sense of identity. And he says he is a citizen of heaven. So he's a Roman citizen, he says, on a number of occasions. But he's not just a Roman citizen. There's a higher citizenship that God has called Paul to. He's a citizen of heaven, and that's given him a new vision of what life is like and who he is here to serve. He has, he's part of a new kingdom. The kingdom of, not new, but it's new to him. It's the kingdom of God. He's part of that. He has a new leader, and he has a new focus for all of his life. Chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus lives, and we, eagerly, we are eagerly awaiting him to return as our Savior. We will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. So Paul says, I'm eagerly awaiting for Christ's return. He's given me a calling on my life. I'm a citizen of of heaven, yet God didn't snatch him from his earth. That moment where he met Christ on the road, the, the risen Christ, God didn't take him into his presence. He still had this life to live. If you know uh, the Apostle Paul through his writings, uh, he was anything but passive in his faith. You know, he didn't sit around waiting for the return of Christ. He said, oh, I, you know, I'm my beloved. So I'll just sit and wait for him to come back for me. He said, there's, there's things to do. There's a calling on my life. And so he wasn't passive in his following. He had a higher calling, and we do too. Uh, we as Christ's church are called to a new way of living with guided by a new set of values. We're called to live with a new set of passion and urgency, the power of the Holy Spirit motivating us from the inside out to pursue Christ, not as a drudgery, but with all of our heart and all of our passion. And we're called as people who live this life here as citizens of Canada and citizens of who we live in this world, but we're citizens of heaven. So that gives us a new sense of priorities, a new vision, a new leadership in our life, a new set of values. And so we are called to be witnesses to this new kingdom for others. And that he, the king, Christ, is worth pursuing. And this is the source of all joy. And it's not that all of those things that maybe others are pursuing are absolutely worthless, but if you put them side by side, 
if you weigh them on the scales, whether it's money or position or power or uh, birthright or even living in Canada, if you weigh that on the scales with knowing Christ, there is no comparison. There's no comparison. Everything else, Paul says, is like done. So don't get sidetracked. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose heart. Don't let the world, don't let the things of the world, don't let other people rob you of your joy in following Christ. You have in him, by his spirit, new values, and new sets of energy and vitality, and a new vision for your life. Let's pursue it. Let's pursue him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, God, for your power at work within us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, as we look at our lives, we, we uh, I think, have to confess that we get sidetracked. We get distracted. We often are pursuing things that are lesser. We're settling for things that are not worth focusing on. So, Father, fill us with vision. Reshape our values. Give us a new, fresh energy to pursue after you with all of our hearts. You are our King, our Lord, our Savior, our healer, the one who loves us and calls us. So come, Holy Spirit, equip us and send us in the power of your Spirit.